0: I can't believe that uh, it's been six weeks already in this series called I Believe. Uh, Truth be told, when we have long series like this, by about week six or seven, I start getting a little exhausted of them. (laughs) Um, It's good we need to go through all of it, but I start getting a little tired and I'm ready for the next thing. I'm ready for something new. But this one, I'm not even close to being tired with. I don't know about you, but for the past six weeks, we have looked at... At who our God is and what He has done for us. For the past six weeks, we have seen different aspects of the truths of God. And it's helped us to grow closer to our Lord and Savior Jesus, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. If you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, we're in this series called I Believe as we look at the Apostles' Creed. And I, I start this every Sunday that we've been in this series. What are the two reasons that the Apostles' Creed was written? 100 AD, it was written, number one, so that people knew who God was. At that time in in the Christian church, a Bible wasn't all written and, and composed into one big book like we have it today. They were all different letters. And so people were wondering who is God? And so the pastors and theologians sat down with Scripture, saw the truths of Scripture, Hold them out and formed a statement of faith that we call the creed, so that people could confidently say, here's who God is. The second reason uh, that they wrote it was to combat false teaching. Even at 100 A.D., false teaching about who God is crept up in the Christian church, and so the statement of faith was used to say, no, 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 what you're teaching is wrong. Here's what Scripture teaches about who our God is. So those are the two reasons, to let people know who God is and to combat false teaching. And for the past couple weeks, we've been looking specifically at Jesus. We've looked at his birth. We had Christmas in July, and it was awesome. Uh, We looked at his death, his suffering death and burial. We looked at his resurrection. And now this week, we look at the phrase, He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And so here's my question. If we were to start over and write our own statement of faith of who Jesus is and what He's done for us, would we we remember the ascension? Would we remember to put in our statement of faith uh, the truth about Jesus that He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty? Maybe for some of us, we say, well, yeah, because I confess the creed almost every week and uh, since I was a little kid, and I know that that's in there. But even myself included, I'm not preaching to you, I'm including myself in all this, I think sometimes we forget about the ascension. We focus a lot on Jesus' birth, His life, His teaching, His death and resurrection, but the ascension kind of gets put in the background. And yet Jesus ascended into heaven. And it brings you and me comfort and confidence today. That's what we're going to see as we look at the letter to the Ephesians, as we look at Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 1. Let me show you a map. I know this map is going to be really small, and you're not going to be able to read anything on it, but I I stretched it out on purpose so that you could see all the surrounding area. It's in the circle spot. That's where Ephesus is, and that's where we're focused on. That's where the letter is going to. Paul wrote a letter to the Christians in Ephesus that we know as Ephesians. He wrote it in prison while he was in Rome around 61 to 63 A.D. He, at the same time while he was in prison, he wrote the letter to the Colossians and Philemon at the same time. And so since he was already sending the, those two letters, he wrote a letter to the Ephesians to encourage them. What I love about the letter to the Ephesians is that it is symmetrical. There's six chapters, and the first three chapters deal with what God has done for your salvation. How God has accomplished it, how he's taken care of everything, how you have the full assurance that heaven is yours because of Jesus Christ, and to him be praised. That's the first three chapters. The next three chapters deal with the so what? Now I know what God has done for me and my salvation. What does it mean for my daily life? That's what Paul talks about in chapters 4 through 6. We, this morning, are focusing on chapter 1 and a part of it where Paul talks about the power of God, winning us salvation, and what our ascended Lord Jesus is doing at this very moment. So this is where we are. 61 to 63 AD, Paul's addressing these Christians living in Ephesus. And here's where we pick up in verse 16. Paul says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Let's stop right there. Think about what Paul is praying. Think about what Paul just said to the Ephesians that he's praying for them about. He's praying that God pour out the Holy Spirit to give them wisdom and revelation to know God better. What an amazing prayer. We we pray a lot for each other, don't we? And yet oftentimes, what do our prayers focus on? Lord, heal this person. Lord, provide this. Lord, this person's about to give birth. Uh, Let it be a a healthy delivery. Lord, this person just moved. Let them acclimate. Let them get uh, acquainted with their new spot. We pray for their physical needs, don't we? And that's good. God wants us to pray for people. God wants us to pray for their well-being. But how often do we pray this prayer? Lord, open the eyes of the people. Pour out your spirit on them, that of the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that they may know you better. The fact that Paul says the spirit of revelation means what? That in order to know God, it has to be revealed to us. It's not innate. It's not something that we're born with. God has to reveal it to us. He has to pull back the curtain, so to speak, so that we can see Him and know Him and understand Him. And Paul says, this is what I'm praying for you about, Ephesians. I'm praying that God pour His Spirit out on you, that you may know Him better. What would happen if we as a divine Savior family started praying this prayer for each other? What changes in our lives do you think would take place? What changes in in our church would take place as we pray for one another that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would be poured out on us so that we may know God better? Parents, pray this prayer over your children because it's not innate that they know the Lord. It's not innate that they know Jesus. Pray this prayer over them. Teachers, pray for your students as you teach them this year, that God may pour out a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they can know God better. Shepherds, pray for those that you shepherd. Connect group leaders, pray for those that you lead in your connect groups. Pour out your spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know you better. Paul says, this is what I'm praying for, that you may know him better. But he prays something else. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul says, I'm praying that your eyes go from closed to open, that you go from darkness to light and see the hope to which you've been called the glorious inheritance. We know what an inheritance is, don't we? It's, It's a gift that grandma and grandpa, mom or dad, when they pass away, they leave to us. They give to us. That's an inheritance. And I think in my mind anyways, when I think of an inheritance, I think of some fund, money that's passed down. But I wonder if oftentimes uh, an inheritance is uh, given and we look and we say, wow, I didn't realize grandma and grandpa were such big hoarders. Uh, There's a lot of junk here that I have to go through now. Um, Great. Paul says, you and I have a glorious inheritance that God wants to give us. It is far greater than than the stuff in grandma's basement. It is far more glorious and more powerful than a fund filled with money. It is the glorious inheritance of heaven. Of heaven. Paul says, I want your eyes to be open, the eyes of your heart to be open, to know the glorious inheritance that you are going to have. This is the same inheritance that our Lord said, that Jesus said in John chapter 14, that he was going to go and prepare. What did Jesus say in John chapter 14? I'm going to prepare a place for you. That is your glorious inheritance, a room in God's heavenly home for eternity. A room with your name on it, forever. That is what our ascended Jesus is doing right now. He's gone to prepare a place in the glorious inheritance of God. And so that's your first point this morning. The ascended Jesus is preparing our inheritance. What is he doing up there? He's preparing your room. When it comes to your salvation, God left nothing to chance. He left nothing to chance when it came to your glorious inheritance that you're going to receive. Think about everything He's done for you in regards to salvation. He sent the eternal Son of God, Jesus, into this world to live under the law, just like we live under the law. He sent Jesus, the eternal Son of God, to live perfectly in our place, to be our substitute, to follow His laws and commands perfectly. God sent Jesus, the eternal Son of God, to die in our place. God sent Jesus, the eternal Son of God, to conquer the grave so that our end is not six feet underground, but our end is in the glorious inheritance in our heavenly home, in our room, in God's mansions forever. He sent Jesus, the Son of God, to reconcile us to God the Father by removing our sin, removing death, so that we have peace with God, and now He's ascended into heaven where He's preparing you, your room for eternity. That's what He's doing. He left nothing to chance, not forgiving your sins, not conquering the grave, not even preparing your own room in heaven. God's taking care of it all. Jesus is the one who takes care of it all. And what's that room going to be like? No crying, no tears, no fears, no struggle against sin, no attacks from the devil, no health problems, no mourning, no crying, no pain, no death. Only joy, only comfortability, only security, only happiness forever. And isn't that what our hearts want? Our hearts want to feel secure, want to feel joy and happiness and comfortable. It's what we want. It's what little Tommy wanted. Tommy was three years old, and he had to go to the doctor, and he had to have all these tests done on him. It all turned out okay, so that's good. But he had to lay in bed for an hour straight, with all these wires attached to him. Now imagine being a three-year-old where all these doctors are coming in to check on him. He's got all these wires. He barely understands what's going on. He sat, or he laid, and he cried the entire hour. And the whole time he looked at his dad and said, I go home, Dad. I go home. Why? Because at home there's security. At home, there's comfort. At home, there's no scary doctors walking around. At home is where we're comfortable, we feel safe, we feel secure, we feel happy, we don't fear. How true is that for you and me? This life is filled with hardships, filled with troubles, and it makes us cry out, I go home. And Jesus says you will. Because you have a heavenly home, a heavenly room waiting for you prepared by your ascended Jesus with your name on the door waiting for you because He's taking care of your salvation. Our ascended Lord Jesus is preparing you a room right now. You talk about comfort in this world. No matter what happens this week, you have the comfort of knowing that you have a room waiting for you, not because of what you've done or haven't done, but because of Jesus. He's preparing you a place, the glorious inheritance. But he's also doing one more thing, and that's what Paul addresses in the next verses. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Notice what Paul says. God not only raised Jesus, but then ascended him to his throne where every rule, every power, every authority, every dominion, every name that can be evoked, invoked is under His feet. He is ruling all things for what? The church. The Christian church at large. And you're a part of that through faith in Jesus. He is ruling all things for the good of the church. Think of the comfort and confidence this must have brought the Ephesians. 61 to 63 A.D., anyone know what, what's happening in, in history at that time? I saw Brent Mallett. Roman persecution, right? Emperor Nero is starting to persecute Christians, starting to kill Christians for their faith. And at that time, the Roman Empire, Empire was the ruling power, and nobody could stop them. And it, caused them abund- and it caused everyone fear. But then to hear this. Your ascended Jesus is on His throne, and every power is under His feet. He is in control of everything. Be confident. Have comfort. This big Roman government that seems so strong is nothing compared to your ascended Jesus. Jesus take your eyes off the Roman government and look up to Jesus. Is that what we do? We, living in the 21st century, do we keep our eyes on our ascended Jesus who's ruling all things? We say we believe that Jesus is ascended into heaven And I'm sure that we even say, yes, I believe it, and we mean it. And I'm sure the knowledge is here, but does it always translate to heart knowledge? When moments come when we fear, when we're overwhelmed, when the uncertainties of the week and in the life start to creep into our minds, where do our eyes go? One of two places, generally. Inward to I have to plan, I have to execute, I have to have things under control, it's me, that's how I'm going to feel good. Or, it's outward to other people. I need this political party in, I need this person in, I need that, I need this, and then I'm going to feel safe and secure. But Paul says, don't look in, don't look out, look up. Look up to your ascended Lord and Savior Jesus, who's on His throne, and everything... Is under his feet. There is nothing that is out of his control. There is no one who can overthrow him. Jesus is ruling all things, and he's ruling all things for the good of the church. What is it that's on your heart today that's causing you to fear, to be overwhelmed, to be anxious inside? Is it the state of the world at large? Is it within our own government and within our own country? Is it in your relationships? Is it nature? When there are big storms, do you get a little uneasy? And we've had a lot of weird ones this year, haven't we? Is it starting a new job and feeling completely overwhelmed? Is it the future for your kids? Jesus is on His throne. And every power, every authority, every dominion, every rule, every name that can be invoked, whether in the present age or in the future, is under His feet. And there's nothing more powerful than Him. He is in control of everything. What comfort What confidence that gives us going into this week, knowing that my Lord and Savior Jesus is ruling all things. But do you know what it doesn't mean? Unfortunately, it doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. If bad things never happened, we'd be in our room that Jesus is preparing for us in God's heavenly home. But now we live in a sinful world where bad things do happen but it doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love us. He's proved that time and time again, and He proved it most clearly as He left His throne to live, die, and rise again to reconcile us to God so that we know there's nothing between us and God. We are forgiven and dearly loved. And now He promises He's ruling all things for the good of the church, and you're included. What comfort, confidence, the ascended Lord Jesus gives to you and me. He's preparing us a place, and He's ruling all things. There's nothing out of His control. And so that's your last point today. I've been saying it again and again. The ascended Jesus gives us comfort and confidence. Do you know it's probably my least favorite time of the week? It's Sunday night right after dinner. Because the weekend's over, you start thinking about the grind of the week ahead, you start thinking of all the events, every, all the work, you think of the kids' schedule, you start to figure it all out, and you start mentally preparing for the week. What is going to give you comfort and confidence as you go to sleep? It's not your plan. It's not the execution of your plan. It's the fact that at the end of the week, our Lord Jesus is still on His throne. Our Lord Jesus has prepared us a place in heaven. So no matter what happens this week, it's not out of your Savior's control. He's ruling it all. No matter what happens this week, even if you were to die, you have the comfort of knowing that He has prepared your room in heaven for eternity. So be filled with confidence. Have comfort this week Your Lord and Savior is ruling all things, and He's ruling it for your good, the good of the church. Have comfort knowing that your room is being prepared and that your Savior is ruling all things. So this week, let's look up. Not look out, not look in, look up. And confess and believe that Jesus is ascended into heaven and sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise and thank you that you are the king of the world, that there is nothing and no one that is out of your control and that you don't rule over and that doesn't answer to you. We thank you for ruling all things for the good of the church. We thank you that you are preparing a place for us, our glorious inheritance that you have taken care of and that you will give to us uh, eventually when you take us from this world to be with you. When our room is ready, we are ready to go there because there there's ultimate security, ultimate peace, ultimate joy, and comfort. We thank you that you've prepared us a room, and we thank you that you go with us this week ruling all things. Nothing that happens this week is going to be a surprise to you. It may be to us, but it's not to you, and it's not out of your control. And so this week when we feel like we're, things are going out of control, that we don't have a, a firm handle on things, help us to look up because you do. Give us comfort. Give us confidence calm our hearts, and send us out this week in peace. In your name we pray. Amen. Part of what is tradition in Christian worship is to say a statement of faith. And we alternate between the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. Today we're going to say the Nicene Creed, which was written around 325 A.D., and it was written because there was a tax on Jesus himself. And so this one deals with Jesus. It lays out the majority of who Jesus is and what He's come to do. So please stand as we say this statement of faith together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty.